0: In Iraq today, bombings and battles, at least a dozen dead in Baghdad, as the fighting from a war the U.S. left a while ago now continues. Ten years after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, the nation is unsettled, uncertain, unable, it seems, to step away from the cycles of violence that visited every city, every neighborhood, in what was to be a war of liberation. On the streets of Fallujah, the brutal attack was met with celebration. We are from Fallujah, they chanted. This is our work. That's reporter John Berman of ABC News in Iraq in 2004. When four Americans working for the U.S. subcontractor Blackwater were killed in that city of Fallujah, their bodies hung from a bridge, an image that said unmistakably that the U.S. liberators were no longer welcome. had become the target of the war. Our next guest carries a heavy burden of fear, shame, and uncertainty about his country, Iraq, and the war he believed would end all wars for his people. Abdul Razak Al Saidi covered the war as a reporter for the New York Times. He's currently a senior researcher with the Physicians for Human Rights. And he joins us from the studios of our partner WGBH in Boston. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Do you remember what you were doing, thinking 10 years ago this month?
1: I was waiting for that war. We were so desperate for it because we knew that's the only hope for us, to be liberated and to be freed from this brutal dictator regime. I remember the first day when the siren went off. That was on the 20th of March, 2003. My friend called me and he said, Congratulations. And we knew no one could do the job. No one could remove Saddam Hussein from his palace. Only the U.S. Army and their allies. We thought that you know, this is a new future, this is the new era, this is the end of oppression, of dictatorship, of abuse. But unfortunately, the price was too much because we gained our freedom,
0: but we lost our country. Let's uh, speak of that loss, really, from the transformation that you witnessed from that hopeful March day. In 2003, to barely a year later um, in Fallujah, where as a journalist, as someone who was going to be a part of telling the story of the liberation of your country, you find yourself in a very, very different, much less hopeful place.
1: Yes. In fact, the things getting worse and deteriorated, and we, we thought we were losing our dream. I, I lived most of my life in a war zone. Since the Iraq iranian war started in 1980, which is I was only 11, and then the the first Gulf War in the 90s, and then the American invasion in 2003, then we thought this is the end. This is the end. But for, unfortunately, it was the start of different oppression, the start of different, you know, brutal, brutal area. What I saw in Fallujah in 2004, which is I never seen in my life. And when I come back, I said, what's the point? I don't feel safe. And you don't know it's your enemy. It's people fighting each other. People were killed based on their names. That's it.
0: Let's talk about um, that day at the end of March uh, when you really entered into Fallujah as a journalist to cover a story which said so much about all of this violence and the extent to which people had been brought down to a, a level of savagery. Yeah.
1: We were driving on a highway before Fallujah, and we didn't know exactly what what's happened. We know there's something happened there. And then, then I decided just go by myself as an Iraqi, and I left all my, my New York Times IDs with my colleagues, the American colleagues in the base, and I will take an Iraqi driver and we drove as an Iraqi, not as a journalist at all, and then what I saw it was so you know i i I think I saw half of the scene you know when I arrived, I saw two burned vehicles, and I saw bone and flesh was dangling from uh, an electricity wire, and I asked what happened and I've been told all oh, four Americans were killed, and they were burned. And then I said, you know, where are their buddy? said, oh, their buddy, and we dragged to the bridge. So I said, where is the bridge? He said, oh, just, you know, five minutes walk, ten minutes walk. Then I walked. We were hundred of mobs, mostly children and teenagers, and, they were so, you know, they were so excited. When, we, when I arrived to the bridge, I saw two two buddies hanging on the bridge and two on the ground on there kids were there and kind of, you know, celebrating and, you know, and the smell that not just, you know, broke my heart, but that's making me so scared because I just imagine myself, I could be the fifth one. I will be the fifth one. If the, anyone of these, you know, know I work for New York times, just the mention name, New York times, full stop. We work for American. It doesn't matter. You know, army, uh, government, NGOs or media, you know, then uh, they consider you—you you are a traitor or a spy or whatever.
0: In, in the midst of that fear, you are also seeing around you, and you mentioned a moment ago, children playing amidst the bodies and uh, this brutality. What, what did you see? That was uh,
1: that was the most, I think, brutal scene I've, I've ever seen in my life so far. A child, I think, is ten or eleven years old. He was kicking one of the buddies, and and what it was, there's smoke coming from the flag jacket, and he was shouting, Pacha, Pacha. What's that mean? Pacha, it's a very famous meal in Iraq, which is the head of the sheep. And then I thought, you know, this child, what kind of generation we have? And there's many children, by the way. He's not the only one.
0: And he's exactly your age when uh, you witnessed the Iran-Iraq war, uh, when you were Uh, 10 11. Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah. what this child is seeing is so much worse than you ever experienced.
1: The dangerous thing is this, this child was so excited. He was kicking the body. He was shouting. I mean, I, was a, I think I was a normal child. You know, I was scared of the war. I mean, I was hiding with my mom. I was, But not doing this, it's unbelievable.
0: And at that moment, did you think to yourself, we've crossed a line here in Iraq, in my country... And we can never go back across that line. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of, this kind of violence,
1: this kind of, of killing. And from that time, 2004, things getting worse and worse and worse. And, and more violent, more, more violent, more killing, more casualties. And then I was thinking, what's the gain? What's the goal? I don't understand. Where are we are going?
0: When did you decide, um, when did you tell your editors at the New York Times that you, that, that you really wanted to do something different? I told him I am gonna
1: quit, I'm gonna quit the job. I don't wanna, or I don't wanna work as a journalist. I don't wanna see these things anymore, because if I'm not a journalist, I wouldn't see these things. I would just stay home, do nothing. But he convinced me to stay as a very good negotiation tactic. So I like, remember he said, "This world need people like you. To, you know, we need reporters like you." And. Um, it's still exciting to work as a reporter, but just to see this scene, uh, it's too much.
0: Well, it breaks your heart. I mean, you had so many hopes. Uh, you, you had spent your life from the time you were a young boy imagining Iraq without war, and you were brought to witness something so horrible and shameful. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought this
1: war, was the last war, that's my hope. So therefore, when I said... I was so excited you know, when I was in Iraq because we thought this is the last one and that's it. We will live like in a, as a normal people, in a normal place, peaceful, you know, bright future. But when I saw that time in Fallujah, I said, oh my God, is that, is that the Iraqi children in Fallujah? Is that, you know, is that what we want for them and kick their buddy and shouting? Is that his fault? He's it's, it's 10, 11 years old. I mean, but by the way, he was not the only one. Sure. It's just, it's like children just like celebrating, you know, it's just like a fireworks, like you know, it's like a party.
0: Razak, um, this whole scene was played back to you in Cambridge, Massachusetts, when you met one of the uh, relatives yeah. of the soldiers who, who was killed. <clears throat> and you had to relive this, but from a very different perspective. What happened?
1: Yeah, in fact, this is, you know, this might be a strange moment. When I was there, I thought about their families. This is the four...
0: Contractors. The four contractors,
1: Because my brother was executed by Saddam regime in 1993, and he was hung. We didn't see because he was... And then they buried his body for 10 years, so we didn't know about it. So it's come in my mind, uh, you know, this scene... Do their family know what's, you know what's going on to them? It, I don't know. It's, this has come just to my mind, about their families of these people. And then in 2009, when I was um, a student at Harvard and was also a former Neiman fellow, a friend of mine, she's also a Neiman fellow, told me that uh, a mother of one of, uh, of these four is coming here and uh, she would talk in one of the events, in, in events, and Neiman, would you come? And then I said, no, um, no. And then she said, you know, she really wants to see you because she knew that you were there. And then I saw her. And then I saw her. She was very kind and she was very soft. And uh, she I think she was a very good mother. And she asked me she asked me a very difficult question because she, she needs to know everything. She wants me to describe the scene where every single... Second, she just wanna see, you know, to know exactly what happened. But of course, I didn't tell her because I, I was very elusive. Then I, 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 I tried to change the subject. To uh, you know, what? What you can tell to a mom of what's happened to her son?
0: Did uh, didn't like, she guess, deserve to know?
1: Yeah, she deserved to know, but to know from me, not I'm. I'm I mean, I can't, uh, I can't stand it. This is too much for me. I mean, from personal level and emotional level. When I saw her, before even we start, I cried, you know? I just cried, you know, before we talk. It's not her fault. It's not my fault. It's, you know, uh, that's, you know, her son.
0: Um, and that's really and the, that, that's the theme here. It's not her fault. It's not your fault and yet both of you are led into an emotional catastrophe um, that neither of you can ever really fully recover from, right?
1: Yeah, and I, I think, I know the war is over, maybe for American administration too, but for, for this mother, Donna, I don't think so. And for other people, and for you, I think, yeah, 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 the same. So it's not over because this is the trauma, you know, will for it's not forever; it's for a, for a long time. You know, it lives on, on daily
0: in in the pain of of loss. Razak, um, do you think you'll ever say, "The last war"? This will be the last war again.
1: This will be forever war no we we, we know it, what we are in Iraq it's will be it will take long time the war is not over for us the war is not just like you send you know troops and fight there it's the consequences so the last could be but it might be forever so it's a difficult question <laughs> this terminology maybe it's a...
0: there's no such thing as a last war i guess is what you've learned
1: no no no, it was not the last. Look at, my, you know, look at my country now. I mean, I hope, I hope, you know, we have a you know, good future. But, you know, the violence still there. The killing is still there. The, the terrorists is still there. And the sectarian conflicts, the, the conflicts between factions, you know, still there. I think that will take a long time. That will last for a long time, unfortunately.
0: Abdul Razak Al-Sayidi is a former journalist with The New York Times. You can read his last dispatch from his country, a piece in The New York Times magazine called Unwilling Witness. He's a senior researcher now, Middle East and North Africa, with the Physicians for Human Rights. Abdul Razak Al-Sayidi, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, John. NYC Now delivers breaking news, top headlines, and in-depth coverage from WNYC and Gothamist every morning, midday, and evening. By sponsoring our programming, you'll reach a community of passionate listeners in an uncluttered audio experience. Visit sponsorship.wnyc.org to learn more.